Another episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is Free Thought Project editor in chief Matt Agarist. So today we have an awesome guest. We've been trying to get him on the show for at least a month, maybe even longer. We've been having scheduling conflicts. We decided to do a very early morning show because that was the only time that was going to work for us. So I hope you enjoy. Brian Hartwig is a former content moderator for Facebook who wore a hidden camera to expose the bias and censorship happening internally at America's largest social media company. Since Ryan exposed Facebook, he has done countless interviews in the last year after he went public as a Facebook whistleblower. Good morning and welcome to the show, Ryan. So glad to finally have you on our podcast. Well, we've been wanting to have you on to talk about censorship, uh, especially Facebook censorship, as it's one of the biggest topics we focus on with our podcast. So since you blew the whistle exposing uh, unfair Facebook moderation policies, you've been doing a lot of interviews. You've been speaking at conferences, events. Uh, you penned an op-ed for New York Post. Uh, you formed a nonprofit foundation for free speech. You even had your Twitter account suspended. Uh, you wrote a book that was recently published in August called Behind the Mask of Facebook. So let's just start off with like an easy question. Um, even though you signed a confidentiality agreement with Facebook, you felt like you could no longer ignore the blatant censorship they were engaging in. What in your experience was the most shocking revelation you stumbled upon while working content moderation for Facebook? Probably the most shocking thing, and as you said, yeah, I did, I did sign an NDA. Um, probably the most shocking thing is just how how they would throw people on these hate figure lists, literally literally on the same list as Hitler. So you've got Gavin McInnes on the same list as Adolf Hitler. I think that's probably one of the most shocking things. And then just how many times they would make newsworthy exceptions um, for their for for celebrities like Greta Thunberg. They'd give protections to her. To her. Uh, Alyssa Milano, she broke their rules. They told us, they acknowledged that she broke their rules, and then they made an exception for her. So, yeah, it, it really just goes to show that the rules mean nothing to Facebook. Like their motto, their old motto was, you know, move fast and break things, which is really true. I think they've changed their motto, but they still tend, they're, they're still following that old motto. Sure. So, you know, after all the years we've experienced censorship on Facebook, it became clear that selective enforcement of content policy was in effect. Like there was no doubt about it, uh, meaning, you know, we basically had a microscope over all of our posts looking for any reason they could find to take them down or give us a fake news strike. While other organizations and influencers seem to have like a free pass, as, as you're mentioning here, mm -hmm. um, they basically discuss any topic and make any type of post that they wanted. Um, so, yeah, it's been reported the past few weeks by The Wall Street Journal uh, that this is, in fact, true, <clears throat> that Facebook yeah. gives preferential treatment to millions of, you know, quote, high profile users, uh, 5.8 million to be exact, 
who are exempt from their moderation policies. Um, these whitelisted accounts um, get a second review. Uh, they're um, you know, which the Facebook claims is just part of the, the, the normal process, but you know, we don't get the second review, right? Yeah. Average users don't get the second review. Um, so they're granted a certain level of immunity from punishment. Um, so you, uh, recently wrote an article about the wall street journal and, uh, what they missed in that article. Can you go into any more detail to kind of explain that whole aspect of what's going on? Yeah. So. And it's uh, I appreciate you like mentioning some of the work that I've done the last year because it looking back at it it's it's been quite a lot and and uh, and so I think it's just kind of of course it's the Wall Street Journal we're talking about so they're only going to pick and choose some things that support their narrative but the amount of work that I've done and and you know bringing to light certain aspects um, is is pretty remarkable and and honestly my my conclusions some of my evidence supports what the Wall Street Journal published last week. So yeah, we could go today. They published about the whitelisting, and so they they mention X check, but they make zero mention of Fire Brigade, which this is that's what the whole program is called, Fire Brigade, because it's to prevent PR fires. And then they they failed to mention, or maybe they didn't have access to documents that show that there's there's six tiers of protection. So there's the mid pri mid priority, high priority, media ops, high priority, media ops, absolute protection. Um, media ops business partner, and then there's the last category, which is my favorite, which is absolute protection. Um, so the, those are actually yeah, those are the tiers of protection. So I emailed the the author um, uh, Horowitz, I believe Jeff Horowitz, and uh, I emailed. Finally got around to emailing him yesterday, but I published that article last week, and uh, you know Sputnik News interviewed me last week about that. So I think I feel like it's a, feel like it's a crucial part of it. And honestly, like even if they just mention my like the section of my book and my name, that's fine. If they if they don't want to mention Project Veritas, like for sure that's fine. But I think it's just really unethical for them as journalists to, um, you know, do this this deep research and then ignore the person who's been talking about X check. And I tried to look. I'm trying to look through my interviews from the last year. I'm, in my interview notes with the SGT report last year, I put in there about the X check fire brigade. I don't know if we actually talked about it. But someone suggested that I should accuse the Wall Street Journal of plagiarism. But I, I don't know. I, I do. I do know. I do know they have separate. They had some separate sources that were had inside information as well. So I think there there was. You know, it's fairly well documented. They did a decent job. There's five series in their. Um, uh, there's five articles in the series that they published. Um, but yeah, it's it's whitelisting. It's um, it's protect Facebook from PR fires. And they give the example of Neymar Jr., who was a soccer player who posted revenge porn. So that's called uh, non-consensual intimate imagery, NCII. And that's the, the section of the policy, sexual exploitation of adults, SEA, which they didn't mention in the Wall Street Journal article either. So there's some parts of the policy. The people they interviewed were more of the top level, like people making the big decisions. But I, I had to look at that policy every day for two years. So I'm a little more familiar with some of the, the intimate parts of um, of that, that policy. Right. And that's, uh, we also saw that there was like that Facebook with this X check program, this was in your, um, in your article about how they also allowed child pornography to be posted on the platform too. Right. We, uh, we actually yeah. saw an example of this. I think it was in 2018. We reported on it, uh, that disgraced rapper, um, Takeshi six, nine, he like, he streamed actual live child pornography to his Instagram account and he was actually arrested for 
what would took place in that video and charged, but his his Facebook and Instagram remained up. And in fact, like he had like this golden algorithm he where he would promote if he was promoting an upcoming show, like anybody else who tries to promote a show, you know that that Facebook algorithms tend to just you know push that down into the to the gray area where it doesn't go. But he would just post a poster of his upcoming show and it would get it would get millions of interactions and everything. And this was after he was arrested for what he had streamed to their platform. Was this was this like a part of the X check program or um, or was anything similar to like the, the the child pornography you mentioned in in your article was um, I know it was something about a children's music album. Uh, how how yeah. often did this happen? Like, was there were there a lot of disturbing examples of this child pornography running rife uh, being allowed on Facebook? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, there's because I dealt with like newsworthy exceptions where they took like one off situations and told us individual, you know, as moderators, hey, leave this up. Um, but with the yeah, the child pornography example that I had from Brazil, I don't know if it was specifically directed related to X check. Um, they didn't say that this was because of X check, but it's it's still the same effect. It's a, it's basically bending the rules for certain accounts or or you know one off situations. So in that situation, um, and that's in my book there. It's yeah, it's it's there was a children's album cover, um, and I'll pull up the quote here real quick. But basically, yeah, there was a children's album album cover in Brazil. And Facebook said they, they acknowledged that it had violated their their policy, the, the child nudity policy. So they said there's a trending image of the of an album cover for the Brazilian band Negritude Jr. The album cover does violate our child nudity, nudity policy. However, given the artistic value of this album cover, as well as the public interest value, Facebook has decided to make a newsworthy exception. The post itself, as well as reshares by regular users, should be ignored. However, CE labeling for naked babies still applies as the cover depicts fully nude toddlers. So, I mean, they're acknowledging these are fully nude toddlers. We're going to allow it. And they say put it on the labeling. CE stands for continuous enforcement. So it's basically just training the AI to recognize images of nudity. Uh, but that, yeah, that's shocking. So this is, it doesn't mention X check here, but yeah, it's the same effect. I mean, because you're having you're allowing child nudity on your platform. I don't know how they get away with that because Section 230 uh, and the Communications Decency Act clearly states that you're not, <laughs> that's the whole reason they created the law was that, so that Facebook could take that stuff down. And here they are making an exception to allow it. Right. That's incredibly disturbing, man. And in the meantime, you know, they have, we have peaceful, like just posts about disagreeing with somebody politically and, and, you know, that's removed and it, it's uh, why they allow this this crazy stuff to be up there. And they, yeah. they also, uh, this was a few years ago, they also banned the image of the, the girl in Vietnam after, uh, you know, her village was napalmed. I can't remember the name of the little girl, but. Yeah, yeah. So that one, that one's, I also mentioned that in my book, Behind the Mask of Facebook. So I thought that they allowed, maybe they've changed the rules. And that's the other thing is every two weeks, they, they do give us a policy update. So they can, um change their policies whenever they want. But I thought I thought there was an exception for that because it was more like historical. And, and same thing is with, with the Holocaust photos. If there's any children who are naked in the Holocaust photos, historical photos, they would allow that. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. It's like, why why create this these rules, which are very extensive, if you're not going to follow the rules um, to begin with? 
Right. Well, they were called out for that one, right? Because it was this historical photo that actually did. Um, I mean, I'm not familiar with the Brazilian um, album cover, but yeah. what you just described it sound, sounds very disturbing. And, and I don't think that, you know, naked images of toddlers on Facebook is probably not a very good thing, you know? Even no. if it's if it's newsworthy because some band put it on their album cover, I don't uh, just because they, yeah, I, I I disagree that that should be allowed on on the platform. And yeah. while at the the Napalm Girl, you know, that is a historical photo that is you know it's in history books and everything else. Well, so that that exception I can I can tend to agree with, but yeah, not the other one. Well, it's got to be a bit tough, right? I mean, this is the biggest social media platform on the planet. And, uh, you know, not trying to make any excuses for Facebook whatsoever, but, you know, taking a step back, like there's got to be some moderation decisions there that have maybe some leniency where there are exceptions, right? And I think we just we just noted one with this historical picture. But, um, you know, reading through some of your notes for the book, um, you mentioned there was like a dramatic shift. You you quoted, uh, excuse, excuse me, you said, there was a monumental shift after the 2016 election. So, you know, there's a difference here between some of the policy moderation and then actually just intent with, you know, malicious action with censorship. Um, so what you said was after the 2016 election, uh, that's when we noticed a profound shift. Um, and so we kind of noticed the same thing as mm-hmm. well, uh, because, hey, look, you know, like we were uh, we've been on Facebook since uh, 2013. That's when we started our organization. And mm-hmm. for about three years there, there was golden, I mean, there was golden reach. Facebook was the place to be if you're trying to get information out. But yeah. we noticed that the establishment kind of realized after Donald Trump was elected that, oh my God, you know, like we can't let this happen again. Our establishment candidate wasn't elected. And a big par- portion of the reason why is because of social media fervor you know, was so profound that, you know, there was just no way that Hillary was going to win. And so mm-hmm. um, they kind of started to realize that they needed to put the boot down uh, a little bit more. And that's when we started to see uh, the facade of combating fake news and the whole, you know, Russian propaganda narrative. Uh, what do you think was like the biggest shift that you noticed during that time? Yeah, so no, that that is accurate. And um, so I started at Cognizant, so I worked for Cognizant. We had the contract with with Facebook for, for it was a three year contract. But it, the contract started in the fall of 2017 before I I started there, wow. and and I started in March of 2018. And there was this, you know we were they were ramping up hiring tons of people. At towards the end we had about a thousand people at that site in Phoenix. Uh, but I, as I was working there, I asked some managers and we were talking about it. They're like, oh yeah. And this is a manager who'd been to trainings in Ireland with Facebook, um, a Cognizant employee. And he said, yeah, they 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 hired us. They hired all the U.S. workers after 2016 because of the 2016 election, because of uh, Russian influence in the 2016 election. So that was the reason they gave for hiring all these U.S. workers, because before 2016, most of the jobs were overseas. Um, but they, I think in 2016, they realized, uh, you know, something went wrong. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's 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 those are words for, you know straight from the mouth of of uh, my my supervisor. Um, and yeah, so that's so we. And I was there in March in 2018, and then short shortly after that, that's when Zuckerberg testified that they don't censor political speech, testified before Congress, uh, which I thought was kind of odd. Uh, and and throughout that next year, I started noticing these these trends. But yeah, so for example, the summer of 2018. There was a viral video of a Trump supporter being attacked. 
and it was the one in Texas where that you know he uh, this 16 year old got his hat knocked off and uh, but and attacked because he had a Trump Trump hat. And so Facebook said, hey, delete that viral video because the adults cursing at the minor, like something super minor. And a lot of those videos were on the news and the word the cuss words were censored out. And so that was the first like signal. I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. And then we had a huge training deck in November, October of 2018, where they trained us on the midterm. So this is the first time that all these U.S.-based workers were training for the 2018 midterms. So we had, you know, names of candidates, blah, blah, blah. We wanted to know who, who was running. They gave us like this little training deck. What's a Republican? What's a, um, you know, the, the ideological uh, spectrum, right versus left? And on the far right, I believe, was like fascism. So they were labeling it as like far right thing. So, so anyways, they were very concerned, very into, very involved in the 2018 midterms. And we had to flag content that was election related to Facebook. So we'd mark it with VI. We'd send it up to Facebook for further review. But we were enforcing election fraud. So if someone said, hey, vote on Mon- Republicans vote on Monday, Democrats on Tuesday, obviously it's false. We would delete that. But I mean, where was the, I mean, who, who gave Facebook the authority to enforce federal election law, right? Exactly. And I, wow. I, we heard from another insider, uh, this was a few years back, about that exact thing taking place to where it amounted to basically sponsoring the campaign, for, or many campaigns for, for like the left politicians, especially Hillary Clinton. Yeah. If you went back and like examined the algorithmic um, boost that she received during the, the her run against Donald Trump, it, it amounted to tens of millions of dollars and basically campaign financing because the the posts promoting her were lifted up in the algorithm versus the posts promoting like b- b- promoting Trump or other Republicans were were downgraded or even outright removed in the algorithm. Yeah, and that's that's just crazy. Like no one's talking about that. If you try to bring that up, it's again, it's it's marked as fake news or or false. But it's we're talking tens of millions of dollars that that, that it was in free advertising because she didn't uh, her campaign didn't pay anything. And yeah. it was just naturally boost through the uh, through the Facebook algorithm. And then I just want to be clear, guys. Like the, I mean, my my conclusions show that there's bias against conservatives on Facebook. But I, my book is my book behind the mask, mask of Facebook is fair in a lot of regards to Facebook. And as you mentioned earlier, it is a struggle. Like it is a hard job for Facebook to moderate all this content. And they did make some. So I even acknowledge like they made some changes that were good. So. For one, at one point, and they're few and far between. Every, for every thing they did good, there's probably you know five they did bad, which I show in my book. But for example, the the phrase "Muslims did 9/11," so that phrase at one point was a delete across the board. You couldn't even talk about this historical event, 9/11, and they changed it and made the policy more nuanced. And and now you can say Muslims did 9/11 because you're referencing a historical event. Um, well, we know they they were mainly Saudi Arabians, right? Um, and that, so that's one example where they allowed, I guess, for greater speech, um, but it, it pales in comparison to all the other examples of them suppressing speech, millions and millions of accounts. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, my the book Behind the Mask of Facebook, yes, it shows it's hard evidence showing biases against conservatives, but it's not just a talking point And there's there's hard evidence. Um, and, yeah, we've both seen this this manipulation, this focus on the elections 
And uh, yeah, yes, it is a struggle for Facebook to moderate all this content. But there is this. I mean, what we have in the in the book behind the mask behind the mask of Facebook is just undeniable proof that there is a slant that it's coming from the top. It's not just a few rogue content moderators. That Facebook clearly makes decisions in a bubble in Silicon Valley, where they're you know allowing attacks against straight white males, where they're making exceptions for Don Lemon, calling white males terror threats. They're protecting Greta Thunberg, um, making newsworthy exceptions for for Alyssa Milano. So yeah, the list goes on and on. But yeah, it, it is a challenge. I understand that, but you can't be. In addition to that, you can't be boosting content. Section two thirty doesn't allow you to boost content promote certain content over others and that's what facebook's been doing well i'm really glad that you mentioned the the actual positive policy changes um as we know you know we've over the years had a few people who are fans of our work who happen to work at facebook and we've connected with them and they've been great insiders for us to, to try to you know yeah get the the ticket so we could have another review of our content when we do get flagged and whatnot and uh, I'm also glad that you mentioned it. It's not just conservatives, because um, I feel like that needs to be said. It, there is yeah. a huge uh, push with the narrative that it's only uh, conservatives. And while I would say that it's largely conservatives, I would say it's anybody who's anti-establishment, which actually brings me to a kind of like a personal question, because I'm, I'm just kind of curious. It sounds like you were working at Facebook during the time when our pages actually got purged. So October 11th, 2018, uh, Facebook purged over 800 pages and accounts uh, for, they gave us three different reasons. They said uh, spam, fake accounts, and inauthentic coordinated behavior. Uh, we lost 3.1 million fans with one of our pages and 1.9 million fans with our other page. And it's been uh, you know, a struggle trying to, to rebuild since then. Uh, do yeah. you happen to know of that situation or were you privy to anything, um, you know, regarding that uh, purge? That's a really good question. Um, I know, I'm trying to think about that time frame. I'm, when was that, uh, was InfoWars banned the year in 2019 or 2018? I'm, sure, I'm trying to remember. 2018. If that was, it was about yeah. four or five months before us. Yeah. Okay. So we made a warning, actually. We wrote an article saying first they came for Alex Jones, you know, and then we're going to all be next. And certainly enough, three months later, four months later, we were all next. It was yeah. a pretty big, uh, it was like it was in the news, you know, we were on all kinds of different news networks going on telling our story about, you know, we hadn't violated any terms. Yeah. But they, they claimed we had violated some random inauthentic behavior terms. But yeah, it was, uh, and it was, we, we had no, appeal n nothing there was nothing we were just wiped off the internet and we were also removed from twitter that day as well and mm. we got a strike on our youtube so it's wow. kind of crazy there <laughs> was something you, going you, on <laughs> so the you, coordinated you inauthentic behavior seems to be coming from the from them yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no that is i i don't have uh direct knowledge of your account um i did see when i was reviewing instagram accounts i did see a lot of the the name same like Instagram accounts on the left and the right. So we would see a lot of like Ben Shapiro. And then on the left, we would see um, now this news, I think. Um, and yeah, like it's, we would, we would see like your, your posts on Instagram, like they're very, you know, they, they I guess you could call them controversial. And so as a moderator, I would dissect each element of your, of your meme 
and I would have to see see where it violates. So there's about 10 different policies where it could violate. Violate most commonly, I would look at cruel the cruel and insensitive policy CNI, mm -hmm. and I would see like if it was mocking someone who died. Uh, what's fascinating too is like if you if someone made a meme about um, who's that rapper that that got shot in Florida? Um, Temptation, I think. XX oh, Temptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So That's there awesome. were memes mocking him, and it had a photo of him like as he's dying which normally would violate, but because he had this little like criminal record, like a little misdemeanor. So somebody at one of my coworkers like researched that, oh, he's a criminal. And according to that policy, if you're, if you have a criminal record, then the policy doesn't apply. Like you're excluded from the policy. Wow. So then we allowed those memes. Whereas like Kobe Bryant, who, who got accused of rape, but never charged, right? There were memes about his death that we deleted because he didn't have a criminal record. Wow. Yeah. That, that doesn't surprise me. And, you know, we, we've long suspected that Facebook policies would change frequently. You know, if there was like an actual visual representation of Facebook policies, it would be a very dense book, you know, and yeah, there's, they're <laughs> yeah. always adding to it. So I'm glad to hear that you actually confirmed that they do change their policies every couple of weeks. Yeah, they change their policies every couple of weeks. And, uh, the, How is anybody supposed yeah. to ever keep up with that? You know, like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. especially when you're not even being aware. I mean, even now when we have strikes on our pages or Instagram account, well, on our Instagram, we don't even get notifications anymore. We just get a shadow ban. And then mm -hmm. on our Facebook accounts, when we do get a strike, they won't actually give you the, the reason for why you violated. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a minefield. You know, you're, you're trying to navigate a minefield and, uh, you know, it, it's become increasingly more difficult. I wanted to ask you, Ryan, about the uh, the Atlantic Council. They, right when we were um, when we were banned in 2018, one of the big talking points that came out afterward was that Facebook is a private company. You know, air quotes, mm -hmm. private company, and we basically kind of, you know, uh, negated that by saying that they had partnered with that with the arm of the Atlantic Council, the Digital Forensic Research Lab. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? When they so I'm, I'm looking at that? it right now. I'm um... yeah. <clears throat> Basically, it was uh, they were brought in to get to provide um, this is a quote real time insights and updates on emerging threats and dis disinformation campaigns from around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Atlantic Council is actually funded by the U.S. government and um, and lots of other um, unscrupulous actors uh, like oligarchs from around the world, like uh, Victor Pinchek from the Ukraine and Saudi billionaire Baha Harari, and yeah. uh, as well as weapons companies and all this other stuff. Big right? pharma. They're, yeah, they're basically yeah, they're yeah, uh, lots of big pharma um, actors as well, and uh, they're basically like a whitewashing arm for NATO, you know, to help promote wars around. And so we we found ourselves in the crosshairs of the Atlantic Council on more than one occasion. And I was wondering if that if you think that that or if you're I guess if you're not familiar, you couldn't answer that. But if you if you are like that, what they did was basically what this whole X check program sounds like, which was grant some people speech on the, on the platform and, and remove other people's mm -hmm. and, um, and, but the fact that it was directly funded by the U S government, you know, it's, it's, it, mm -hmm. it, it removes that whole Facebook is private. Um, tag yeah, mark. no, then that, I, it's funny. I went to an event on Saturday night and I, I sold a couple copies of my book and I was talking to people and he's like, and one kid was like, yeah, well, what, aren't they a private company? They can do whatever they want. And uh, the best analogy, and, and Jason Fick, by the way, he's an expert on Section 230. He loves to to uh, to troll people on Twitter because they, they always have this argument and he can just stop them dead on their tracks. Um, and he has, I'll go into more in his in more of his legal theory in a second. But, but yeah, so 
yeah, the whole private argument thing falls is is false because um, private company because uh, yeah, because they're, they're coordinating with with the government, and so they're they're a de facto like they're essentially a quasi government agency. Um, so and we have multiple examples of that. I mean, less than a year ago in December of 2020, Senator Cory Booker was essentially asking Facebook to if they could ban President Trump, and then a month later he gets banned. Um, and we have Jen Psaki about a month ago saying, yeah, we're, right. we're sending content to Facebook for review. Like, okay, so you're sending things to them. So you're asking them to, to review certain things. Um, so yeah, the, the best analogy I can think of is if you go to McDonald's and you're like fighting with people inside the store, causing mischief, they're going to ask you to leave the store. If you, if you refuse to leave, they're going to call the authorities and they're going to call the police. So it's, you know, Facebook, you know, enforcing their own rules and kicking people off the platform is like, they're like being McDonald's, but they're also acting like the police. So they're the ones who come and kick you out. Um, so yeah, and, that, and that's part of the legal theory is that Facebook is not, yeah, they're a quasi-government agency. They're acting with um, not with not a state actor per se, but with authority from the state. And so Jason Fick's argument, his lawsuit, well, his his previous lawsuit went to the Supreme Court in January against Facebook, and they chose not to hear it. And then right now he's he's his lawsuit is uh, suing Facebook, not 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 Facebook actually. It's actually suing the United States government. So he has he's one of the few people who has who's he's one of the few people who has standing to sue the U.S. government under the Fifth Amendment for due process. Uh, it's called the void for vagueness doctrine because the community standards they have are essentially penal code. And so uh, we should have a recourse if we get booted. We should be, have a re recourse because we're dealing with a quasi-government agency. And um, there's some other legal principles like uh, the rules are not being applied uniformly and and whatnot. And so that's, yeah, that's uh, the base of the argument. I mean, you have this authority that facebook used facebook got this authority from congress to restrict speech on the internet and they're using it to you know as a to protect their brand and they're using it to make themselves this huge huge company this that controls public discourse and so yeah there's a lot of problems with the argument if you if it's not as simple as just oh they're a private company um because the only reason they exist and are allowed to exist is because Congress, which gave them the delegate delegated their authority. So if Congress is delegating their authority to a private company and the private company is successful because of that, then it calls into question a lot of things. Right, right. And like, like this, just there's this revolving door of all this Facebook top alumni uh, moving back and forth to top regulatory positions within the government. And it is, it's this quasi government that it gives a facade of privatization while actually, you know, these it's acting as deputies for the state. But, yeah. uh, and that used to be, you know, this was like something that we talked about for years when it wasn't like a publicly spoken, uh, you know, like most people didn't know this, but recently, you know, with COVID-19, we've having, you know, we have the Biden administration coming out and outright saying that they were gonna, you know, partner directly with Facebook and uh, and to directly censor any kind of things that they deem misinformation. And we also found out that after uh, the January 6th, uh, you know, riot or whatever you want to call that, that Facebook was actively working with the FBI and turning over private messages of, of individual users 
uh, who were just just discussing anything that happened that day, not actually even participating in it or doing anything illegal, but just a direct like information magnet proxy, you know, working as an intelligence apparatus on behalf of the U.S. government. And now that they're now that they're coming out right and saying it, you know, like the what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you like have we jumped from like this behind the scenes thing, like X check where? It was this covert, um, you know, algorithm to allow certain ideologies to be pushed to the forefront. And now, you know, they're they're not even hiding it anymore. Right. We have the, we yeah. have the president of the yeah. United States coming out and just saying, like, yes, we're going to work directly with social media companies and ban information that we don't want. I think after October of 2020 is when they first went just full blown public. Yes, we are biased. We don't care. There's, and there's nothing you can do about it. That was basically their, their attitude. And we had that purge in October of 2020 of all the those YouTube accounts like SGT report people who were just asking questions like citizen journalists asking questions about what was going on and uh, so up until that point you know Facebook was a little more um, guarded about some of their public responses and uh, but since then and they've they've come out openly and they say yeah yeah we prioritize attacks against black people above attacks against other people other group groups other races and when I was there, and this is in my book, uh, Behind the Mask of Facebook, I document how, you know, white trash at one point was a violation of the hate speech policy, and then they changed it um, to say it is, it's not a violation. So white trash is no longer against the, is no longer against the rules. Like you can say white trash on Facebook all day, and it's it's, it'll, it'll never get taken down. So that's, that just shows like the double standard, um, and, and the the reason they gave for that was really shaky. Like oh, that, that's just how the term is used colloquially, you know? And I understand like there's a whole, there's the word trailer trash. So I understand there's some nuance with that word trailer trash. But if I say white trailer trash, I'm clearly identifying a protected characteristic. And the same thing with, um, with attacks on police. So before you, if you, you had a picture of a cop on the street and you're saying, you say that cop's a pig. Well, at one point, you would delete that because that's a private individual and you're calling him a pig. And then Facebook said, well, we're, we're going to change that. And it's no longer a violation because because how the, how the term was used in the North American market. So, yeah, they're much more open about it now. Um, they're, yeah, and and they're, they get away with it. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they get away with it, but I mean, it's pretty clear they have a lot of lobbyists in D.C. And I think the most shocking thing like this it shows you how inept Congress is, is you had Jim Sensenbrenner, I, I believe in 2020 during one of the congressional hearings say, uh, well, we shouldn't punish big tech or companies just for being successful. So if, if you want to call like, you know, using Congress's authority to make your company successful and while, you know, silencing millions of Americans successful, like that's a weird definition of success. Um, but yeah, there's there's more than 43 examples in my book. I mean, even the we're talking about the border crisis right now. Facebook allows people to volunteer to be smuggled. I can literally say on Facebook, "Hey, I want to be smuggled. Contact me." And and so um, I don't know how that squares with with what they've said. And I don't know if the oversight board has the power to even influence Facebook enough. Like they, the oversight board was. I think there was something recently about that, but. The Nick Clegg, the VP of Global Affairs for for Facebook, in, in like January, February, there was a leaked video from Project Veritas, and 
Nick Clegg was saying, yeah, we want to conform with the rules of each country. Well, the First Amendment's a pretty pla- good place to start if you want to start, you know, allowing things. And and that's the thing. That's the danger. And and it's this this uh, dilemma we have because I'm out here advocating for free speech. But, you know, technically, if you're talking about a free Internet, free speech would mean allowing any type of pornography, right? So we still want to have filters and, like, protect children on the Internet. So that that's still something that I'm, I'm struggling with is that's what's that solution? What's that ideal solution for? Yeah, we, we don't want to have we don't want the Internet to be a, this dumpster fire of just cesspool of filth. But at the same time, we can't let f- these large companies just control 90 percent of the Internet traffic. I think that like the these 4chan and 8chan sites went through that same thing. You know, they protected free speech, but they ended up with like the worst of the speech. You know, when we saw that. um you know, some of the they were praising the the a lot of mass shootings and stuff in real time on these platforms. And so, yeah, yeah it's definitely um, it's definitely a slippery slope and, a, and it's not a very easy slope to, to traverse, you know. But when. Given that, you know, we, we know that like what they're like by changing ter- uh, different censored terms like white trash, like you had mentioned earlier, you know. Yeah. Is this like is this do you think this is like a product of like wokeism or is it or is there something more nefarious underway that you think that like the, the are we just like getting so woke in the government and Facebook and then like we have to do this or we'll be canceled that or do you think that something under is more nefarious at plot like that? which is creating like this divide like we've never seen before you know people like aren't even talking to their families family members anymore yeah. based on on these divisive and and controversial algorithms that just spark this this hatred towards their fellow man you know mm-hmm. like what do you think like do you think that it's just a product of this woke what do you think is is sparking this or do you think it's that that it's like just a such a hard actual task to undertake <laughs> is, or is it you know yeah. what, do, what do you think is driving this craziness um, it's a combination of the two, but but I think it goes back to like George Orwell in 1984. Like if, if you can change the definitions of words, then you can you can shape shape the world. And and so it's not a matter of and, and that's the thing, too. I think if the, I don't I wouldn't want the roles to be reversed. I think there's a possibility for abuse if if imagine if you had a group of hicks in in the South controlling all of Facebook. Right. And. Then you'd, right. you'd probably yeah. see the same thing happening. They'd be silencing liberals, which I don't want either. Um, so, but yeah, this is, I mean, we, we see this globally. It's, we see this pattern globally. I mean, it's just not just in the U.S. Facebook's policy is global, and the, these leftist viewpoints are being pushed uh, across the world by by these organizations. So, you know, we're, I'm not going to flat out and say, yes, the, the global, the Illuminati, the, the global Illuminati are controlling everything. <laughs> but I mean, look, this, this company controls the public discourse for 3 billion people. They're pushing one type of a narrative. Um, you, it's, it, yeah, it's a dangerous precedent. So um, I, I think th- what we need to, we need to look at it this way. So the Westboro Baptist church, all right, most controversial church, they go to people's funerals who are military veterans who were uh, who were gay and they they post they stand on the street and just say hateful things and they use you know just horrible words so there's some cities who are like oh well maybe we should restrict free speech around funerals like that's the worst thing you want to that's that's the no-no like that is that is the slippery slope that's the same thing that facebook's doing 
So the answer always to bad speech is just more speech. And so that that's that's what we need to have. We need to have more speech, more competitors to Facebook. Uh, the and that's the internet was designed to be that way. So I think one solution was to be like just open and free, free from government uh, regulation. And that Atlantic Journal thing, uh, that's really fascinating because it just shows, yeah, the government's basically sponsoring, um, you know, controlling controlling Facebook. And so, yeah, we yeah, so free speech, we want to have um, free speech on the internet, and that's what the internet was designed for. So blockchain, I think, is going to be the way to go. We want to kind of mimic what cryptocurrency did for, for the monetary um, system and have blockchain apps like, you know, pocketnet.app where you can't shut it down like you can't shut down the speech so yeah I, I like i think that's the way to go um it's it's really frightening to see how much power facebook has and they're going after yeah people who attended in events on one day i was at the january 6th event like i was in the vip area like i was like a couple hundred yards 100 yards from from trump when he spoke and I'll, i can just tell you like i didn't feel after he spoke, I didn't feel this pressing need to go kill people or hurt people or <laughs> hurt members of Congress. And logistically, I was it was freaking cold that day. It was like 30, 35 degrees. And I'm from Arizona. <laughs> but uh, it was, you know, logistically, we were half our way. But to get out of the speech from Trump, you had to go out the when you came. It was literally standing room only, like worse than a, than a rock concert. So the idea that the people who were at Trump's speech went straight over there is is just like that that initial logic is just not there um and i didn't i didn't get get i didn't get over to the capitol that day actually i was i was cold and i actually went home early it was like four o'clock we got the the message on our phones from the the mayor saying there's a curfew so the few people i was with we went home early um back across the the river to uh west virginia but um or virginia alexandria yeah um, anyways, so yeah, anyways, it's, it's very dangerous what Facebook's doing. Very, very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, YouTube also admitted a few months back that they quote boost authoritative sources. So, you know, I don't, I, you mentioned that Facebook just kind of came out and admit it. I, I kind of feel like, you know, there's a lot of collusion with the big tech community, probably more than, you know, we actually realize. And, um, I think the problem with this is, you know, we could expose all this, we could expose the collusion, we could expose the censorship, but if the masses don't really care, then, you know, nothing's really going to change, right? So mm -hmm. um, I, I know that you only have a few minutes left. Um, we always try to talk about solutions. And I know you yeah. just mentioned one, which was the, you know, the blockchain, uh, decentralizing, um, maybe using some of these smaller alternative uh, social media platforms. Is there anything else that you want to add to possible solutions to you know, kind of getting out of this uh, Buddha censorship? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Trump's lawsuit has some merit. His arguments under the First Amendment basically saying, you know, that the government didn't have that authority to begin with to tell give tell private companies they can they can stifle free speech in, in a public forum. Um, so that's that's one. And then Jason Fick, he has a 501c4 he has the social media freedom foundation social media freedom foundation.org and his lawsuit is unique because it's against the united states government uh under due process the fifth amendment so that's a possible solution the states really need to take a stand against the facebook they can use consumer protection laws 
you know, data privacy laws, because we clearly know that Facebook's misusing people's data. Um, so, and you know, Florida and Texas have passed some legislation with regards to, to big tech, like, hey, you can't just ban, if you have this whitelist X check thing, why are we getting, you know, political candidates who are being banned from Facebook? That should never happen. Um, just the, yeah. If they do anything, let's just prevent them from banning political candidates. Um, so those are some solutions. We got some lot, you know, some lawsuits. Uh, I mean, I was involved in a criminal referral against the, uh, to the DOJ from Mark Zuckerberg a year ago. Uh, also helped with with an FEC complaint. So hopefully, my book will be used for more lawsuits against Facebook, just because it's it's a monopoly or it's a duopoly, you know, with with Facebook and Google. But um, those are some solutions. Yeah, as consumers, we really need to take a stand and choose different platforms, choose Gab, or there's so many to choose from. Uh, Gab, par probably not Parler, but uh, uh, MeWe. It seems like every week there's a new new social media app. But uh, sure. yeah, those are some solutions. Uh, you can to learn more about me, you can go to ryanhartwig.org. You can see some of my interviews. I just, you know, I've been trying to educate legislators about these issues like i talked to someone recently in argentina and i've talked to i've talked to the human literally talked to the human rights arm of the government in brazil because this censorship it is a human rights issue if you have i mean imagine the implications we know what's going on in in uh china with the uyghurs uyghurs and uh if people can't get the word out of, of oppression or mistreatment and facebook's supporting that that oppression then it becomes a human rights issue Absolutely. And uh, yeah, glad that you you did that. I, I saw that uh, noted in your on your website and in your work. Is there anything else you want to tell us about your book or anything else you want to plug? Um, no, I just, uh, you know, the book came out a month ago. It's 300 plus pages of damning evidence against Facebook. If you want a signed copy, uh, you can email me at ryanhartwig at protonmail.com. And that uh, helps me as, a, as an individual and helps support, support my family. Um, but yeah, just just uh, yeah, just be be more educated. I think the book will just help you be more educated about actually what's going on. We've had the anecdotal evidence for for many years, but this is hard photographic evidence of what Facebook's doing. Um, so yeah, no, I appreciate the the time on the podcast. And um, yes, my website's ryanhartwood.org if you want to email me directly or, or talk to me. I look forward to reading that, Ryan. Thank you for your work, exposing the truth, uh, shining light on the deceptive practices by Facebook, which is, you know, the world's largest virtual public square. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for coming on, taking the time for the show today. We appreciate it. And congrats on becoming a new father. Uh, we'll link to your GoFundMe and your book in the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much, Great. Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it, man.